to the Love Life Church podcast and thank you for checking us out. We love God, love people, and love life, and we hope this message encourages you and inspires you. Here's today's message. I believe this is a word from God specifically for today, and not only that, but I believe it's going to be the most, one of the most important, most important messages or talks that you've ever heard. But before I get going on that, I want to look at Psalms 91. As we were singing uh, the last song, the Lord just told me to go to 91. And in 91 or in any Psalms or at any time I'm reading scripture, I make it personal. I've I've said this many, many times over the years uh, to all that will listen, that one of the most important things that I found to help me in changing my life was getting this to become personal to me. That's what, that's, that is one of the keys that helped me transform or have that time of change in my life from the old to the new. And I know so many Christians and I've known hundreds of Christians over the years that they read the Bible, they read the Bible. When they talk about the Bible, they talk about the Bible, but it's not personal. And until it becomes personal, you will not, you will not have change. I can tell you what you will have. You'll have one of the top greatest religious walks that there is. And you know how to speak Christianese. You'll know how to dress like a Christian. You'll know how to drive like a Christian. You'll do all the things that religiously on the outward look good, but on the inward, you don't have the strength, the power, or the understanding to keep you founded, keep you grounded. And so you're easily moved, you're easily manipulated, and your life is literally you're just existing and you're not living life. And when you can take this scripture and make it personal, which please understand, it is personally written to you. It is for each and every one of you. It's for each and every person out there. No matter what language you speak, we have an English translation. It was written in Hebrew and Greek, but we have a translation. So every, every tongue Every language in this world has the ability to read the Bible. It's been translated in every language on planet Earth. That's pretty powerful. So what I want you to do is I want you to look at Psalms 91 and listen to me as I read it and how I read it. And then hopefully, if you're not already, hopefully you'll start doing this because I'm telling you, it really comes to life. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I say of the Lord, he is my refuge, he is my strength. He is my God and I will trust him fully. He will deliver me from the snare of the fowler. That's the people that entrap, people that trap things. And from the perilous coronavirus. He will cover me with his feathers and under his wings, I will take refuge. Years ago, we had chickens at our other property and they would have chicks. 
And anytime you would get up to them, those chicks would run to their mom and get under their wings. And you couldn't even see those chicks, those little ones, because she had them fluffed up under her. And it's like, you, I mean, there'd be like six or eight of them and you wouldn't even know it. You just thought that chicken got fatter. And that's the picture right here that we could run to our God and he'll tuck his wings and we'll get right in there. That's a safe place to be. You shall not, I will not be afraid of the terror by night. I will not be afraid of the arrow that flies by day. I won't be afraid of the pestilence, coronavirus that walks in darkness, nor the destruction that lays waste at noonday. A thousand may fall at my side, 10,000 on my right, but it's not going to come near me. Death is out in the world, but I've determined not in me. Now follow this because it's so important. Only with my eyes I will look and see the reward of the wicked. Because you have made me, the Lord is my refuge. He is my most high, my dwelling place. No evil shall come upon my life, nor any coronavirus in my house. For I, for God gives his angels charge over me to keep me in all my ways. In their hands they shall bear me up, lest I dash my foot against the stone. I will tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent, I will trample underfoot. Because he, God, has set his love on me, therefore he will deliver me. He will set me on high because I know his name. He, will, he shall call upon me and I will answer. And I will be, he will be with me in trouble. He will deliver me and honor me. And with long life, he will satisfy me and show me my salvation. Now, when you read 91, it becomes totally different because what you're stating is, is what he's saying. And until we can get the understanding of that key, that supernatural miracle working power key of believing and speaking God's word. And that's what Jesus said. He said, these are those that love me. They hear and do my word. Anything you do, you, the words are there with the doing. Every time you're doing something, words have always been there. If you're doing negative, words have always been there. If you're doing fear, words have always been there. So your actions, your life is going to follow the abundance of the heart and the abundance of heart always speaks, always. You go, how do I get to know people? Hang around them and you'll find out who they are. You gotta, you, the time will tell because ultimately they're gonna go, Bleh. it'll be all fluff for a while, but then all of a sudden, Abundance of heart will have to speak. That's the truth. And so we're looking at the scriptures and we're going to see something that I believe will and can change your life if you choose to receive it. But I believe with all my heart that these are going to be truths that will set you free. I have the title and it's very important to recognize the title. It says, are you kidding me? Wait for it. And that's how you have to hear it. Wait for it. Are you kidding me? 
I was driving to church. This was a week and a half ago about driving on the right-hand side. And as I'm driving, you know, we're just, there's the, the traffic's going and this Michigan vehicle, because they have Michigan license plates, decides to pull right out in front of me. Like we're all driving, we cross the intersection. They're sitting there, I'm seeing that, wait for it. And boom, right in front of me. And I gotta slow down, and, and the vehicles next to me, you know, they're driving and I'm like going, dude. Or it might, could have been a dudette, I don't know. All I know is, is I'm looking at that, I'm going, Michigan, God. So I'm driving beyond the vehicle and for some reason, they don't want to go to speed limit. And I'm thinking, are you serious? Are you kidding me? Not only do they pull out in front of me, but they don't even drive the speed limit. And now, as a pastor, you probably know already, I'm just praising God and praying right now. Not. And so I'm going, I'm just thinking, well, how dumb. And then all of a sudden, I see the next dumb thing. Their hand get up with the phone. They're reading texts or their Instagram or whatever. And I'm thinking, are you kidding me? And I thought, this person is, is a danger to society. And in my head, I'm going, people like that. And I just realized, you know what? In my head, I didn't say wait for it, but in my head, I was thinking, these people just, they are waiting for something to happen. Guess what this person does? We get to the, almost to the intersection and they make a left turn. Not left turn in the lane, left turn from the right turn lane. I'm going, Jesus. Lord, I know there's been times David said, kill my enemies. I know it's New Testament, but Lord. And I thought, you know what? The way for it in that person's life is not gonna be good, especially driving like that. Oh my gosh, I'm telling you. That, but you know what? I wanna talk about something that I believe is, is so important for us to see, and that is this. We all have, are you kidding me, moments. And don't act all spiritual and religious and everything that this doesn't happen to you, because it happens to me all the time, even in scripture. There are times, like I said, when I read this, I place myself in the stories. I'm experiencing what I believe would really be happening, not the religious concept of the disciples. I'm looking at from my standpoint of view, and seeing how they are, I get in there and I can see them and I can see their reactions and, and just, I can be a part of this. But there are many times when things happen, even when Jesus makes statements, it's almost like, are you kidding me? You know, it, for instance, um, remember the guy, he's, he can't get into the pool. The pool is, is stirred by an angel and whoever gets in there can be healed. This guy has been uh, uh, not able to walk for 38 years. And so Jesus comes in that area. All these people sick and diseased everywhere. Hundreds and hundreds all over this place. And this guy just laying there. 
And Jesus rolls up to him and says, hey, what's up? Um, what's up? I'm trying to get in that pool to get healed. He goes, do you want to be well? Are you kidding me? <laughs> See, this is, these are the things where you're like going, serious, Jesus. I mean, I, I mean, do you want to ask the guy that? Of course he wants to be healed. But those are what I do. I get in there and I'm thinking, okay, that comment is something where you're like going, serious? But it's also something where you have to dig deeper when you see something like that. And so what I've learned is there are many times when I, I look at things and I go, are you kidding me? Really? And so I realize something else is deeper. Something else is important about what I'm reading. Because Jesus isn't dumb, and he's not trying to, you know, rip on people. He's not trying to bag on them. So what, what is he doing? Why would he ask a guy, do you want to heal? When the guy hasn't walked for 38 years, and Jesus knew that. And so I pay attention. I pay close attention. And then I watch for the wait for it moment. The next thing he does is say, well, get up and walk. Yeah, no, see, this is what, this is what I'm talking about. Christianese goes, yes, of course, that's the correct way to do it. No, it's like, are you kidding me? The guys have walked for 38 years. Help them up, Jesus. You know, lay hands on them, help them up, do something. But are you kidding me? But see, this is, when you start paying attention to the word in that manner, I'm t this is when it comes alive. It, you, you, Christians have a tendency to make it very sterile. You know, it's almost become like a hand cleaner. <laughs> Sound like gas for a minute. But, I mean, what do we got? We got, we have the word of God that is to bring forth life. And Jesus said, I am the word. I am the truth. I am the way. I'm the life. And in that, I want us to get hold of these truths in scripture of the, are you kidding me? And the wait for it moments, because I believe a lot of you are dealing with, are you kidding me? Coronavirus is coming for a second phase. Are you kidding me? We're having an uptick. Are you kidding me? And it gets to the place where we're really so far along in, can it get worse? Are you kidding me? And we're not getting the wait for it moments. Now, the wait for a moment I talked about in the early beginning was a negative, but on these wait for it moments, they're positives when it comes to God. And I think that's where we need to get. I know that's where we need to get. We, can get, we need to get to the place where we're wait for it because it's going to happen. And I'm going to show you that. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, Peter says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering, as though something strange were happening to you. Christians are good at that. Well, I mean, how come? I'm a Christian. And all through the Bible, it tells you, man, you're gonna go through some tough times. You're gonna have people that don't like you. You're gonna have people that wanna kill you. And for some reason, we receive Jesus and we go around thinking, everybody should love me. I'm so special. And so we go in and then all of a sudden, you know, we get our foot stubbed 
We get, you know, someone cuts in line in front of us. You know, something bad happens and we're like going, why me? And, it, and it, honestly, I'm telling you, it, it, this, this concept of Christianity has become so, so wrong. And God wants us to look at the truth. He's not saying that, you know, hey, just get ready. Life's really going to suck and one day you'll be to heaven. Everything will be better. That's not what he's saying. But what he's saying is this. There are going to be issues you deal with, but don't worry about it. I've overcome them. So what he's saying is, is ultimately you've got to raise your head up. If you get the smack or you get the beat or you get the trip or you get the fall. Okay, get up and let's go forward. Let's move forward, but let's don't just all fall and, and, and crawl and whine and turn our backs and run away. You want to win battles? You want to win over spiritual battles, natural battles? It's very clear what to do. When you've done all the stand, stand. Don't back up. Don't get out of the way. When you've done all the stand, stand. And then it tells you how. With information. The information that can defeat the enemy and every part, everything about the enemy. But it takes information. I was talking to our uh, interns uh, Saturday, yesterday. And... I went to a scripture, just, this was totally opposite of what I was going to talk to about, but I went to one scripture that just, this thing was so amazing. It's so awesome about Jesus and the heart of Jesus or the heart of the father shown through Jesus. And it says here in, in Mark, I think it's Mark 632, wasn't it? Mark 632. I think it was where Jesus saw the multitude. He saw the multitude and it says he was moved with compassion. Please don't fill in the blanks that he saw all the perfect multitude that were morally good or he saw the multitude that were total believers in God. No, he saw the multitude that were messed up. He saw the multitude that were evil. There were some bad ones. There were some mean ones. There were some ugly ones. He saw the multitude, he saw the mass of people, and he was moved with compassion. What moved him with compassion? He said, it moved them compassion because he saw them as sheep with no instruction. And what did he do? He cried for them. No? What did he do? Did he say, don't worry, one day, Everything we bet. No. What did he do being moved with compassion to all these majority evil people? It said he started to teach them in everything. This is what God's about. He's not about, well, receive, man. Hope, I hope you make it to the end. That's not the God we serve. The God we serve is wanting to get information to you. So he can get that information through you. And the only way it's going to get through you is if you receive it and walk it. Because you can tell someone that has information and they have no understanding of that information. It's just head knowledge. But when people have it in their heart, it's a part of them. 
You can tell a salesman that's selling for a dollar. And then you can tell a salesman that believes in what he's selling. There is a big difference. And so what we want to be is we want to be people that are telling our story because that is the key. Not someone else's story, your story. That's what impacts life. So it says here that don't, don't look at something strange has happened to you, but rejoice. There it is. Are you kidding me? He just got to the place where we're like going, oh, everything's happening, it's terrible. And then he goes, rejoice, be happy, jump for joy. And those are the times of scriptures where you're going, really? Really? Now, I know you guys don't because you're spiritual, but I'm not. I look at this and go, do not be surprised at the pain. He used the word painful, painful trial. That's not something like, Oh, that's getting a little rough out. No, this is like going, ah, this is terrible. It hurts. It hurts. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. I'm like going, okay. So ultimately, what he's saying is, is in the midst of issues and problems, painful ones, if I can change my thoughts to create an attitude of joy, so I got to quit thinking about what I'm thinking about, to an attitude of joy, his glory will be revealed. His glory will be revealed. What does that mean? That means something's going to happen that he's a part of where you're going, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And there have been many times in my life when I had to go, oh, thank you, Jesus. Because it couldn't have been, thank you, Daniel. You're so good. Thank you, Daniel. Aren't you so wise? Thank you. No, 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 no. Just put, you know, Daniel with a D dumb having to say, thank you, Jesus, because his glory. I like this one in the message. Friends, when life gets really difficult, don't jump to the conclusion that God isn't on the job. <laughs> That's cool. Instead, be glad that you are in the very thick of what Christ experienced. This is a spiritual refining process with glory just around the corner. And I think, man, see, these are the truths I need to see. Because you can get in the midst of a dark time period, which you know this is. This isn't something we were prepared for. This wasn't something that we had an advance notice about. Gosh, in January, February, we were planning for, you know, traveling the world. Now all of a sudden, the only thing we can travel is to the backyard. I mean, serious. So don't, we can't look at this like, you know, oh, no, that's cool. I, I've, been, I've been, you know, sliding through this thing. No, it's been a tough, tough ride. But listen, light's at the end of the tunnel. It's always been there. It just, we had to get through a lot of junk to see it. But it's always been there. The light's always there. Always. Light always shines. Philippians 4.4. 4. Here we go. 
Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything. By prayer, petition, thanksgiving, present your request to God. By the way, each one of those are different words for prayer. The Greek has six, seven words for prayer that have different meaning and experience to each one of them. But in the Bible, they're usually defined prayer, prayer, pray, praying. So you need to understand that there are different times when that word is different than one way of praying. And here it's saying all these different words of prayer. In everything by prayers, one word. Petition is another word for prayer. Thanksgiving is another word, prayer. Request is a different another word for prayer. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. What is this saying? It's saying, don't, don't be fearful. Talk to God. That's it. Don't be fearful. Talk to God. Well, how? I don't know. What situation are you in? And that's where all the different words line up. Different meanings of how to pray, where you need to pray, you know, the feeling of that prayer. In other words, the way you communicate is tied to the issue at hand. Some might be different than others, so you can't blanket statement prayer or define prayer is deep sobbing and Lord begging. And then we all look at that as prayer. And if you don't do it that way, you're not in prayer. And we can't do that because that's not even what the scripture teaches. So we have this where God's saying, rejoice always. Don't allow fear, anxiety to rule your life. Change what you're thinking about. I know it's not an easy thing to do, but you all can do it. You are empowered and you alone to control how you think, which is an awesome, awesome thing to know. You are powerful just in your ability to think right or wrong, but it's your ability. So life is always gonna have, are you kidding me, experiences. First and foremost, God can't lie, right? Titus says God never lies. Hebrews says God can't lie. It's impossible. Understand this, and if you ever went to a Bible college and taken, you know, like a theology class, you will understand, they will, they will teach you and help you in theology understand that it's not a choice. In other words, that gives God an opportunity to lie. But God is God, and he can't lie, because that is his nature as God. Not choice, nature as God just as God is love. It, it's not like, well, I choose to not, or I choose, no, it's, he is love. That's it, powerful, powerful to understand the, this, these truths about who you serve, who you believe in. God is love. God can't lie. Why are these important? Because the scripture says that verse, 2 Corinthians 1.20, for no matter how many promises of God have been made, they are all yes 
in Christ. And so through him, amen, is spoken by us to the glory of God. That statement is this. Every promise that God has made is a done deal. And it's yes. In other words, can I have that promise? And he says, yes. Can I receive that promise? He says, yes. Well, I mean, are you sure? He goes, it's a done deal. Amen. Yes. And amen. It's a done deal. Every promise of God, they are written in here and they're specifically for you. Now, are there promises that you don't really need right now? Yeah. But are there promises that you do need right now? Yeah. Are there promises that you don't even know about? Yes. Are there promises you do know? Yes. There's a couple thousand promises in God's word for you. That's pretty powerful, huh? So let's keep this in mind. He doesn't lie. Every promise belongs to me. I just need to believe, amen? Do we not need to believe? Jesus said, all things are possible to those who believe. I need to believe. Now, what I want us to do is go on a little trip together. You ready for this? We're gonna go on a trip. On our famous rocket ship, do we? Oh, little Einsteins. Climb aboard, let's get it to explore. <laughs> Little Einstein's. <laughs> All right, let's go. If you don't know who that is, whatever. You just missed some fun time right there. All right. Are you kidding me moments? We go back in time and we go back, say for instance, I want to go back to the early church. I... I I just do personally because the faith that these people had, remarkable. I mean, I don't care who you are in this day and age. We, no, no matter how you see yourself, if you see yourself as a super Christian or whatever, we don't, we can't, we can't compare it to those people. I, I mean, their faith was amazing. They didn't even have Bibles. They didn't go to churches, you know. They, they, had the, they had their gathering points, their places of meeting. It could have been at the church of Ephesus or it could have been a house 50 miles from Ephesus. Either way, they gathered together and they did it faithfully. That is so important to understand. Gathering faithfully together should be our manner, should be our habit. And I know out there, I know that sucks because you're out there and you know it, you feel it, you're experiencing it, but it's not going to last forever. Everything will be, you'll be back. Everything will be good. We'll get your kids in here where they belong in here and we'll get some noise happening around this thing. And, and listen, I'm serious. And guess what? We're going to, we're going to release the dogs of yelling. In other words, I'm just going to say, keep doors open and have them scream constantly. Have the kids screaming, yelling, having a great time and, and disrupt the service in here. I, I'm all for it. I don't really care. You know, nursery next to my office, scream away. I won't even be praying for them to have peace. 
praying for them to not have any type of, of frustration. I'm going to be believing God, stir them up that they're going to cry the whole time. Believe me, for me, for you teachers and parents, you're not going to like that. For me, I'm going to be going, tranquility is now. Tranquility is now. <laughs> but all right, so we, go, so, so we time travel back. What's going on? We have Christians in their house, huddled together, talking to one another about what? Scripture? No. Talking about their belief in Jesus. And you go to them and you see them and you're thinking, man, I, I, I would love to be able to help them. And you realize, wait a minute, what time period am I in? Well, we're in the time period where the church is growing. But also we're in the time period where there is devastation going on concerning Christians. Nero is hanging Christians up and burning them for lights for the city. He built a coliseum for them to be eaten by wild dogs and lions. They'd put animal skins on and had Christians crawl out in the middle of the Coliseum. All because they wouldn't deny Jesus. Oh my gosh. We get going to lunch with a coworker and we're like going, I'm not a Christian. I mean, it's pretty lame. But their faith was powerful. They weren't ready to jump ship. They weren't ready to quit. They stood the test of time in, in their life of faith. And I don't see that they could even look out in the future and see we will be successful. I just believe they had a faith and they believe that they die, they die. Remember, the only crosses they seen were Christians crucified on them. Death and destruction in Rome. And we could come to them and say, hey, I know this is a tough time. And they'd say, are you kidding me? Tough? They would see it as something that's devastating or how could we even make it? But then we would give them the wait for it moment. We'd say, I know it's rough right now, but in 300 years, this city is going to be filled with crosses and churches. And the whole city is going to be operating in Christianity. Can you imagine what they would say or what they would, they wouldn't even be able to believe it. They're seeing people wiped out by the thousands. And we're telling them in just 300 years, this whole Rome is going to be a, a hot seat of Christianity. Though it's religious, but it's going to be crosses everywhere with no one hanging on them. It took time to get there, but it did get there. Why? Because we have a promise from Jesus that, say, that says this, I will build my church and hell is not going to win. I will build my church and hell is not going to win. And though you can look at that time period and we're there and we're seeing the destruction and devastation, we could even moved, be moved to say, I don't know how they're going to make it. 
How are they going to be able to make it? How are we going to have a Christian faith? But guess what? They do. And the church continues to grow and multiply in the midst of devastation. What kind of devastation? Are we getting killed here? Are we getting crucified? Are, are we getting thrown into, you know, the, the lion pen at the Phoenix Zoo for our faith? No, no. Then what should be happening in this Rona virus? Huddle and hide. Make sure that, you know, we're, we're, listen, the story goes on even if you have a mask on. The story goes on. And we should recognize our responsibility to be light bearers, amen? Light bearers in this time. Not in the agreement of the darkness or aligning our talk with the negative. We've got to bring the light, amen? We've got to bring the light. And so we look at this and say, okay, 300 years later, World War II, we have an are you kidding me moment. 1939, 1945, seven years, over six million Jews killed. Six million Jews killed during World War II. And you look at that and you think, how in the world are these people going to make it? How are they going to exist? And then we can go to them and say, hey, in three years, you're going to be a nation. See, that's the, are you kidding me? The way for it, in three years, you're going to be not only a nation, but one of the strongest nations on this planet. You don't see that. Oh, yeah, we can, we can you know, sit in our, you know, armchair quarterbacks and from our history talk trash. But the truth of the matter is, is you go in 1948 and start telling the Jews, don't worry about it. In three years, you're going to have a nation. There is no one, no one that is going to see that coming. Now, see, my point is this. When it comes to God and his word, when it comes to his promises, Wait for it. It's going to happen. Not might. It's going to happen. It will happen because that's what his word said. If you look at the scripture, Ezekiel 36, 8 through 12, wait for it, written 2,000 years before this event. And he says this, mountains of Israel, in other words, he's talking to the land where Israel is going to have their nation. He says, you're going to produce and be fruitful for my people. They're going to be coming home. You'll look with favor and be plowed and sown. And I'll multiply the number of people upon you, even the house of Israel. The towns will inhabit and the ruins will be rebuilt. I will increase the number of men and animals upon you and they will be fruitful, become numerous. I will settle people on you as in the past and make you prosper more than ever before. Then you will know that I am the Lord. I will cause my people, Israel, to walk in this land. They will possess you and you will be their inheritance and never again you will deprive them. 
That is 2,000 years, and that is the answered prayer to that promise. And I can hear your minds thinking, I don't want to wait no stinking 2,000 years. <laughs> right? That's what I would do. But I realize that when you look at the promise of God, always understand this. A day is a thousand years with God. But also recognize that when God speaks, you benefit from the promise, but you not, might not, and you might, experience his whole prophetic word. The point is, is can you believe and can you get in the beginning? If you fulfill it, oh well. If you don't, oh well, it doesn't matter. The point is, is I'm going to believe his promises. Because ultimately, this is what this whole scripture is about. You look at Abram. Abraham is the father of faith. Abraham used to be in a, in a town that worshiped the moon. Now think about it. Abraham, Abram, Abraham, one day had to ultimately look out there and go, I don't know about the moon God, but there had to be someone that made this thing. And ultimately, he connects with God, and God connects with him. I mean, it's pretty awesome. We don't know the whole story, but one day we will. And so Abram receives a word from the Lord, and the word from the Lord is this. I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless you. And Abram's looking at God like, are you kidding me? Why? Because he's old and his wife is barren. She can't have kids. They've been married for years and haven't been able to have children. So not only do they know it, but everybody knows it. The whole city knows it. Their family knows it. Hey, let's have, have dinner together. Yeah, bring barren Sarah too, you know. I know she can't have kids, but that's okay. And so everybody knows about their lives. And God comes to them and says, guess what? You're not even going to be able to count your line. Your family line is going to be innumerable. Are you kidding me? But wait for it. And what happens? Isaac. But wait a minute. He said, numerable. You can't count them. Well, the scripture made it very clear. Leave your country, family, for a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. Are you kidding me? Wait for it. 500 years later, two plus million. Two plus million. From who? Abraham. Not from other Groups from the line of Abraham, two plus million. There's a great nation. There's a great nation. And it continues to multiply into the line of Abraham, line of David, to Jesus. And now we're included in that line. That's when you look at the stars and say, you can't count them. Guess what? Abraham's seed you can't count them. We're too many. Is that awesome? Think about, think about thousands of years multiplied, multiplied 
Millions of believers receiving Jesus. We're not talking about just us now. We're talking about thousands of years before us. You can't count us. You can't count us. We're, we're like the stars. We're like the sand. You can't count it. No, you can't count us either. You ain't, we ain't getting to heaven and it's like, gosh, I haven't seen anybody for a block already. No. You look at heaven. Listen, we literally, people are looking at heaven and thinking, wow, it's going to be, you know, this big old square and, you know, and, and we, we just rationalize in our minds how this heaven's going to look without even using common sense. Already in heaven right now are hundreds of millions. I mean, we're talking massive. Show me a town with a hundred million people in it. Yeah, exactly. You're not going to be able to, are you? I'm telling you, we, we don't have a clue what it's going to be. But I can tell you right now, I have a clue of this one thing. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> it's going to be awesome. So Abraham, 500 years later, 2 million. I will give you the land 400, 430 years later. So he, he said, I'll give you the land and I'll multiply your seed. He gets all of them. Now, did it happen in his time? No, but it happened in his lineage. He got exactly what God said. Moses is told what? You go and inherit the promised land. You're gonna deliver the people out of Egypt. You're gonna go and promised land. They get delivered. What's the first thing they do? They go to the Red Sea. Are you kidding me? I mean, God just delivered them out of Egypt couldn't you have gone around the Red Sea? Not only do you go to the Red Sea, but now Egypt is coming behind you to kill you. And you're like going, this is crazy. And I don't know about you, but if I'm standing there, I'd be saying, Moses, I don't know. You don't know your way around here, but this ain't the right place to go. But then what? Wait for it. Why? Because God said, and when God says something, he means what he says. And says, Moses said, all right, Israel, wait for it. Boom. And the waters separate. And they go through. And then the enemy is defeated. But what happens now? You have two, two and a half million people. You know it didn't take, you know, a couple minutes. I, I, does anybody even think about these things? Well, I, I'm, 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 I'm figuring, I mean, you, you know, you can go on a Costco line and take an hour to get in there before, and there's only, a, you know, 100 people. So think about 2 million with kids. Well, what, this didn't happen in an hour. This took a long time. Long time. Let's pay attention to these truths. Can you imagine being at the very back? Dude, come on, man. Hey, this ain't no 10-item line. Move it. Can you imagine what's going on? And then they get in there, going through the wilderness, going toward their promised land. And what's the next step? Think about it. We're not talking about, oh, an hour later. We're talking weeks. There is no, there's, there's no like wilderness jack-in-the-box. They're in the wilderness. There's no stores. There's nothing. They just came out of Egypt. 
And, and, you know, they brought some bologna sandwiches, of course. They have some food with them, some snack packs, juices, whatever. But now they're out in the wilderness. They've been doing this for weeks. Now what? They're getting hungry. They're getting thirsty. Moses, what are you going to do? You, you, we come out here to die? And what has to happen? Wait for it. So it's an, are you kidding me? Wait for it. They get water. We're hungry. Are you kidding me? Wait for it. They get fed. There's always going to be a wait for it moment. Always. If you can believe. If you can believe. Ultimately, Moses and that generation, they can't believe. And so they don't go in. Joshua and Caleb take the kids that grew up, the kids that have been growing during this time period of 40 years. Joshua is around 80 years old now. He's got these, these young 20, you know, 20 year olds, young guns. He's got all these people, all these young people, and they're all going. They're like going, yeah, let's do this. All right, rock and roll. They're, I mean, they, you know these guys, they're all pumped. These, listen, this, this, these, these people aren't, Okay, boomers, these are people that are moving in and they're passionate and they're focused and they're like going, let's do this. This belongs to us. And Joshua says, we're going to do it. And, and he starts talking to him and saying, listen, this is how we're going to do it. And so they get to the place and guess what the word says? God says, it's time to go in and they come to the Jordan River. No big deal, but it is. It's an are you kidding me moment because the banks of the Jordan are overflown. Oh, okay, we're reading the Bible. History shows that overflowing banks could overflow up to 20 miles. Oh yeah, now we're going are you kidding me? Because now God's going, we're going to cross. See that point over there? <laughs> no, I don't. All I see is water. Well, we're going on the other side. And everybody's standing there going, are you kidding me? And Joshua says, no, we're going to. And they're going, oh, wait a minute. I, I remember them talking about the Red Sea parted. And, and, and everything separated and we're just going to walk through it. And Joshua goes, nah, it's not going to be that way. How come? Because I was hoping to see some whales and stuff <laughs> and some fish and dolphins swimming. How come? How come we can't? So what does he do? He goes, now what we're going to do is we're going to send the priest with the ark. And they're going to start. And you know what the priests are doing. They're going, heck yeah, man. No, they're not. They're all going like, why us? Water's cold, man. And it's all in the, it's all muddy and everything. And, and Joshua goes, priests, take up the ark. You're going first. The ark represents Jesus. Everything about the ark is a picture of Christ. 
It represents him. And I could go through the whole principle and, and the, the picture of that, but just take my word for it. I'm not going to get into it right now. But everything on the outside, everything on the inside, everything about the ark. You know, Indiana Jones went looking for it. If you look inside, it'll burn you. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? I just, I didn't know if you knew about it or not. So they cross and they step their foot in the water, which is a major step of faith. And all of a sudden the Bible says this, that the waters pushed back. They just started going. This part of the water just went. This water pushed back and heaped up. And it said, a long way to a place called Adam. A town called Adam. You see, there's no coincidences in the Bible. There's truths that set us free. See, I believe there's so many, are you kidding me, moments that we focus more on the Michigan license plate rather than the wait for it moment. And the wait for a moment is what we're born for. That's what we should be focused on. We should be in constant expectation. Wait for it. Look at the bills and, the, and this. Don't worry, let's, let's, let's come in agreement. We give, we, we give our tithes and offerings. God said he'll provide. All right, ready? Wait for it. And have the expectation, have the belief, have the understanding that, listen, my God said it is going to happen. That's it. He's not a liar. He speaks truth. And so we have the people of Israel, 2.5 or so million, watching this water shoot back to where the Bible says, Adam. You see, I believe with all my heart that you have this group of people that aren't perfect, but they're also a group of people realizing that the way they get to is they have to get through. And the only way they're going to get through is have the ark, Jesus, going before them and to keep their eyes on that ark. And as they are focused in on the ark, what happens? Jesus and the ark says, get out. And all of a sudden that flood that water, that represents what? It represents all kinds of stuff. It represents turmoil. It represents frustration. It represents sin. It represents everything that's stopping us from getting across to our promised land. It represents the times when we're trying to do it ourselves and swim and swim and we're going upstream. It, it, it represents a time when we're floating down with the rest of the losers. And our life is dealt with with this big old flooded river. And all of a sudden, we're looking at the other side and going, how are we going to get across that? And Joshua says, keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. And as a priest took foot on that thing, got their feet wet. The water went boom, all the way back to Adam. All the way back, where, what's the town called? Adam. And we see the ark representing Jesus saying, your sins, your failures, all your issues in life, all your difficulties, all your problems, all your weaknesses, all your imperfect 
ways. I'm pushing them back all the way to Adam, the beginning, where it belongs on his doorstep. And this new Adam, this new Adam, Jesus is taking on a trip on his favorite rocket ship. And we're going to go and we're going to grab this land and we're going to own it and we're going to experience it and we're going to live it. That's the way for it moment that we have to understand. So what do we do? Listen, I get the, are you kidding me? I get that. I've said it many times and I will probably say it many more times. I'll probably say it the moment I get on this street on Camelback. Are you kidding me? And you go to my church. And I'm gonna wave a happy hand, not a finger. I'm your pastor, but I would like to flip you off right now. But the thing is, is what? We recognize, we recognize we are born for such a time as this. You guys are. You are born in the 1800s. You're born right now. You see your life and you see the flood of your life. But listen, you keep your eyes on that Jesus. You keep your eyes on him because he's going to go out in the water for you. He's going to get out there and he's going to get a little wet and he's going to say, boom, and push that water. And the Bible said that the water heaped itself up. It didn't say to Adam. It said far away to Adam. Far away to Adam. That's exactly how God sees your sins. He doesn't. They were removed far away from him. They're in Adam, not in Jesus. That's our Adam, Jesus. We're from the new Adam, Jesus. We're new creations in the new Adam, second Adam that did not sin and followed through with all kinds of are you kidding me moments, but he waited for it. This is our day. This is our hour. This is our time. Our wait for our moment is right now, is right now. I guarantee you there are so many people in here right now in here and out there that can tell you about their wait for it moments. There are beautiful testimonies. I was talking to Pastor Lau earlier about what I was going to be teaching. And I said, remember our wait for a moment? And, and she was thinking about what I was telling her about this. And it was about when we looked at the focus of what the world said, what the doctor said, and it was, are you kidding me? You have kids? Ain't going to happen. And we took the word of God. The first year, we weren't really expecting. The second year, we, we, weren't, we were in a place where we want kids, but nothing was happening. So we got hold of God's word and wait for it five years later. Wait for it five years later, not five months, five years later. See, you can quit after a week, you can quit after a month, you can quit after a year. But if you're going to believe, there's no quit. There's just belief. 
And thank God we didn't quit. Thank God we didn't stop believing. We believed. And five years later, five years later, I could have quit. We could have said, hey man, two years, three years. I guess it's just not going to happen for us. And do what a lot of people do and start what? Recreating your doctrine. And I just wasn't going to do it. I knew what God's word says, just like healing. I know I'm healed. If I, if I, have a, if I get sick or pain or whatever, I don't care. I still know my healing belongs to me. It doesn't change my doctrine because something doesn't line up to the way I think it's supposed to happen. If I'm having financial struggles, it doesn't matter. I know what God's word says. I'm a tither. I give my offerings. My needs will be met. I will have more than enough. Well, what, what's happening? It doesn't matter. I know and I believe. So the wait for a moment is going to happen. It'll happen. The first step in experiencing this supernatural life is to receive Jesus in your life. And if you've never received Jesus, anyone in here, anybody out there, I'll give you this opportunity. It's so simple. All you have to do is call on the name of the Lord. Say this with me in here, people, and everybody out there, repeat this after me. Say, Jesus, I believe in you. And I am asking you to come into my life. I believe in you and I receive you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for coming into my life. I'm one of your kids now. Thank you. If you prayed that prayer for the very first time, lift your hands up in the air. If you prayed that prayer for the very first time out there, push that button. And we are so happy that you have received Jesus. Anyone in here this morning, all of you in here have already made that decision. Praise God for each and every one of you. Listen, this is our day. This is our hour. This is our time. Our wait for our moment is right now. Thanks again for listening. To hear more encouraging messages just like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. If you loved what you received, please consider rating it and sharing it with your friends and family. For more information about Love Life and getting connected with us, go to lovelife.church. We love you and are believing God's best for you.